Hey, so five years ago yesterday, we opened our doors to the public. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's something to be excited for. A lot has happened in the last five years. Um, a lot of restoration has taken place, and that was really our hope and our goal, is that restoration would be discovered and take place, not only in individuals, but in households and within communities, that we would be a beacon of restoration within our own community. And so in the beginning, about 75 of us, and uh, you know, I mentioned this in the first hour, but um, the canon about uh, the official list of who actually came from Grace Point to help us is a little murky. Um, so we, you know, 75 to 85, somewhere in that region of people came uh, down with us. And a lot of our friends, um, in addition to those 75 people, set off to work to open this building, uh, to make this place possible, that restoration might take place within our community. Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 about how when a shepherd loses a sheep, that shepherd will leave um, the 99 sheep he has and go chase after the one. And we kind of use this um, story in scripture as a model of what we want it to be about, that Restoration Church wasn't going to be about the 99, the people that were here. Restoration Church was going to be about the one who wasn't yet here. That the open seats that we see, these are the people that we wanted to be about, that we want to invest in, that we want to invite into God's redemptive story. It was our goal from the beginning that Restoration Church would be about that. And so here's the thing. Most of you were ones at one point. You were the ones who weren't yet here. You were the ones who were out. You were the ones who weren't yet within this body. And maybe through an invitation or through some wandering of your own, you found your place here, and now you're no longer a one. Now you're part of the flock. And you're part of a family that is learning to love God and love others the same way God through Jesus has loved us. And I think that this love that we have for God and that we're learning to have for God should prompt us towards our neighbor. I think that's one of the things that a love for God actually does is it prompts you outward. It prompts you outward towards your neighbor. So we are no longer a one, right? If you're here, you're no longer a one. So we must then turn our attention to those who aren't yet here so that they might experience restoration, redemption, transformation, the forgiveness, the grace, the hope that we all desperately and deeply long for. A friend of mine from uh, Bethel Franklin Mills, Rob Tarnovsky, uh, the pastor over there, recently said to his congregation that we cannot partner with God in reaching the world if we make the church all about us. And I completely agree with him. We cannot partner with God in reaching the world if we make the church all about us. And so in some ways, this is a tribute to the last five years, and it's also a vision for where we hope to go in the next five so as a tribute to the last five years, we're going to show a video this morning. It's a short little video. Actually, it's not a short at all. It's actually 26 minutes long, and I'm not kidding when I say that. <laughs> That's so funny to some people, 26 minutes. We don't, we don't often watch a 26-minute long video on a Sunday morning here, but we're going to this morning. And I hope that it's insightful to you. I hope it's educational. I hope it inspires you. And understanding what we're about and what we hope to be about as we continue to move forward. I hope it educates you on how we got to this point. I hope it inspires you to maybe get invested even more into what was happening in the future. So, happy birthday, Restoration Church. Take a look. Thank you. 
the first things we had to do as a church plant was develop a vision. And it was always my conviction that um, the vision for the local church had to align with God's vision for the church. And so what does God want to accomplish through his people? And as I was studying and praying, uh, what kept coming to mind was that God wants to restore his good creation. That's the story of scripture, God restoring his good creation, that people and households and community would experience renewal as they are learning to love God, that they would experience transformation, that they would experience restoration. I was a part of the uh, leadership team at Grace Point when we were getting ready to start Restoration Church. And I can remember the very first meeting of the elders at Grace Point where we discussed how we were going to start a church, how we were going to plant one, and really sort of called out to God, asking him to provide because we didn't know where finances would come from. We didn't know where a building would come from. We didn't know who a pastor would be. But we just felt a call to be able to step out in faith and say that we wanted to start a church in this local community. As I think back on the journey of the last five years, um, even in the very, very beginning stages of Ross and I discussing what it would look like for our family to uproot from Minnesota, where we had um, an awesome community and we were surrounded by family and um, we had great jobs and an awesome house and um, all the things that looked really successful on the outside, but we felt this tug um, to the east to plant a church. And even in that journey, we have seen over and over and over again that message that where God guides, he provides. The second thing that we had to do was uh, develop a name. Well, you know, what are we going to call ourselves as a people gathering? And, uh, you know, coming from Grace Point, the church plant from Grace Point, we thought, you know, Mercy Point, that would have that connection, kind of that sisterhood connection there. Um, we're in the community of Pinewoods without Pinewood Community Church. But then we we're thinking about, um, you know, what is God wanting to do with the church? The restoration of God's good creation. And so Restoration Church became um, ingrained in who we are. You know, restoration is what we are about as a church. And it's just so appropriate that restoration is the name. And then, of course, you know, every every name needs a logo. You need to be able to express that in an image. And so how do you how do you express restoration in an image, in a branding, something you can put on a t-shirt, which we have a lot of, uh, something you can put on a hat, what we have a lot of. We love our Restoration Church gear, but how can you express restoration in an image? And so I remember this. Uh, I, was, I was sitting, waiting for a friend at lunch one day, and I had a napkin and I had a pen, and so I just started doodling on the napkin and I came up with this drawing of, of a broken cross that was kind of becoming restored as it looked upward, as it looked towards Christ, um, it was becoming renewed. And so we had this, this kind of concept, this idea of, of what could maybe be a branding one day for Restoration Church. I submitted that then to a graphic artist um, who happened to be a friend of ours and, and she kind of worked on a, a number of different uh, options for us and, and we came to to what today is the Restoration Church logo. So we had a, a vision and we had um, a name and we had a logo, uh, but what good is all of it without a people? 
And so Grace Point, our, our planting church, was so gracious. They, they basically said that whoever you can convince to go with you, you can take. <laughs> and so uh, at the end of the day, after many campaigns of casting vision and inspiring people with our awesome logo, um, we had about 75 people. We had more than that on our list, but 75 people, as the dust settled, um, agreed to join us on this journey and become a people known as Restoration Church. And that, in- that included all the way uh, my unborn daughter at the time, uh, Sophia, all the way to a couple in their 70s. So we had the whole gamut of, of ages. It was a really beautiful thing to see. If we were a people called the Restoration Church, that, that meant that we were broken. We were people in need of restoration or experiencing restoration or on a journey towards restoration. And, and that was going to be ingrained into our identity. That we are broken, that we are messy people, that we are real with each other. And that's part of it. And, and, and God's grace, God's grace, his gracious gift of Jesus was given to us, even though we were the worst, that we were the messiest, that we were the most broken of all people. So the idea of being broken um, and and uh, giving God the glory for restoring us was going to be ingrained into who we are as a people. It's my very first time walking through these doors and crying hysterically because I was overwhelmed with the feeling of knowing that this is the place that I belong. But at that time, Going through the struggles that I was with addiction, I also knew that I really, that I wasn't ready. So I was in this battle of what could be and what is. And that feeling though is what then eventually brought me back here and back here to where I've been ever since. First time that I attended a service, um, the sermon seemed to be speaking to me, um, which happens a lot here. Yeah, and uh, all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of the service, uh, Pastor Ross said that a member of the church was about to go into a pretty scary surgery, and anyone who wanted to stay behind to pray for her was welcome to do so. And so many people got up and formed a circle and um, just laid their hands on her to pray for her and for the the surgeons who were doing the surgery. And that just told me that this was a place I wanted to be, a place where people care about people. One of the most impactful things that I've experienced here at Restoration Church is just the authenticity of people. We've gone to various churches all through my lifetime, and so often church is the place where you get dressed up and you put on your Sunday best. And in some senses, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but oftentimes putting on your Sunday best also means answering the question, how are you doing? By answering simply fine or good to everyone that asks. I'm being in trauma therapy inpatient at the Kirkbride Center for many, many months, and I received a box of cards from people that had seen me, maybe had gotten to know me 
tiny bit um, and people that did not know me at all filled with love and hope and strength and prayers and um, I was not only able to receive that love but I was able to also share this box of cards with the other women that I was in there with and maybe give them a little piece of this is what God can do um, and then that gave me the strength to come back here after going through the things that I was going through and after knowing that people knew that I was arrested again and, and uh, still struggling with my addiction and knowing that there was going to be acceptance um, in this place. People come here that are authentic and really express how they're doing. When you ask somebody how they're doing, sometimes you really do hear how they're doing. And that's not always wonderful. In group meetings or in other times we've had community groups, there have definitely been times when sharing is heartfelt and meaningful. And that's had a real impact on my life. It's, it's helped me to realize that being transparent and being open with the people that I love and I trust here at Restoration Church is really important. There's two things that were important to me. Um, one of the first uh, messages that hit home from Ross was where God guides, God provides. And I've been a contractor for 20 years doing home improvements. And a door opened um, up in Lansdale for a carpentry instructor. Um, at the tech school, I never thought that's where I would be. But uh, that week I came in and Ross said, we're, you know, God guides, God provides. So I said, all right, I'm going to drive up here. And both trips up the turnpike, I kept on saying, why am I going up here? Why am I going up here? And um, I ended up getting a job. I took it with the attitude where God guides, God provides. And um, I really think I'm meant to be there. I, I really enjoy it. And um, that's one of the major things I've learned is just to let go and sometimes just go, where do you want me and what do you want me to do? The next question we had to ask ourselves was, um, now that we have all of these people and we have a logo and we have t-shirts and we have an idea of what we're about, where are we going to gather? You know, where, where are we going to have this church? And so we, we looked at storefronts and we looked at schools and none of them, nothing was, was panning out. But uh, there just so happened to be a, a young woman in the congregation at Grace Point one Sunday when I was kind of casting a vision to the congregation. And and um, and she knew that her, her church, her father's church, which she was an elder at, decided that they no longer wanted to be in ministry anymore. And they had this building that they were hoping would con continue and a new church would take it over. And so she approached... Um, she approached us after uh, the service and said, hey, I might have a great option for you. You want to come and take a look at it? And so we said, sure. Um, we came down in here into Levittown and, and walked into this building. And oh my goodness, we, we just thought there's no way. There's absolutely no way that this building could be transformed. But we had 75 people and we had a lot of friends beyond that who came and gave a lot of attention and a lot of time and a lot of love and a lot of blood, sweat and tears and made a beautiful space. We restored a building. The story of this building um, coming back to life after um, having seen a major decline in their attendance and their ability to do ministry in this community, God guided us to this building and he's provided every step of the way. We took about three and a half months to take this building from one that had a lot of deferred maintenance 
into one where we literally touched every surface of a room. We painted walls, we put in carpeting or tile, we put in new ceiling tile. So every surface of most of the rooms was brand new and volunteers did most of that work. There was just so much to be done, so many people, everyone just chipped in and, and did what they could. And they made this building really ready for people. Several months of preparation that went into the building, getting it set, getting it all ready to have people come and attend a Sunday morning, um, getting the children's ministry up and running, and what is that going to look like in the classrooms and the volunteers and hospitality volunteers and just the, how the flow of the service was going to go and all of that hard work and effort that was going into it. And here we are on a Sunday morning in October. And the feeling of not knowing, are people going to show up? Is somebody going to walk through that door? And I'll be honest, we, we really didn't know. We, we hoped and prayed that people would come, but we really did not know. And then when people did show up and people started coming in and just that, just that, experience in itself of knowing everything that we put into it for God's glory and to see it come to fruition. It is one of the most impactful experiences that I've had. God provided an amazing launch team for us five years ago. 80 plus people came from Grace Point with us. Um, the people, there are still like 25 to 30 people that remain with us that were original parts of the launch team. Some of those people are now our elders and our staff and those friendships and well that's gonna make me cry. Um, just the beauty of how God has provided in people and and then there's people that we didn't even know existed um, that we now love and call our family and our friends and that's all of you and it's just amazing to see how God has provided. You know one of the things when you open a church, a new baby church, you're like is anybody gonna come? Is anybody gonna come? And you all have showed up and not only have you showed up, but you've chosen to engage in God's work here at Restoration. It was a fairly nice day, a little chilly probably, but I was out on the front porch and I was just struck by the number of people who were just really flocking to our open doors. There were over 200 people attending that very first day. So well over 100 people, adults and children, it was just like there was a vacuum when we opened those doors, just sucked these people right in. 
These people were really looking for a, a Bible preaching church and particularly for their kids and they found it in, in Restoration. Restoration was obviously needed and wanted here in Levittown. I'll never forget how uh, one morning, one Sunday morning, I was woken up um, by a phone call at like four in the morning. Uh, it was the fire marshal saying that someone had uh, broken a window at the church building and threw a Molotov cocktail in there and and there was a fire in your building and tons of damage and, and not only that, but you know, we had this wooden cross out on the lawn and um, he had doused that in gasoline and lit on on fire as well and as well as some of the play equipment inside the, inside the playground. It was a Sunday morning. And at, I guess it was 10.30, people were coming to the service. They had no idea of what had happened. There were probably just three of us in our families who knew what had gone on about 5.30, 6 o'clock that morning. And I just, I just remember always a large group of people coming, not knowing what was going on, and then we just stood out in the front lawn, praying, praising God, and worshiping Him. That was such a, an emotional time, a time when 
people demonstrated their commitment to this church. We met people because of the fire, people in the neighborhoods, of course, knew about the fire and began to, to know something about, about who, we, who we were. And all the all, all the attention you know of of this region was was drawn to us as news stations and and you know cameras and um, and newspapers wanted to hear the story and so we had this opportunity um, to tell the world what restoration was about that we are broken people messy people in need of the grace of God um, and even you know the person who did this who eventually he was caught and he was freaking havoc all over the neighborhood but. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to to express grace and forgiveness to him as well, and and genuinely, that is what we wanted to be about, and that is who we are, and and um, and we had this opportunity to share that we are a people in process of being restored by the grace and the love of God, and we want to express that same grace and love to the community. I am a child of God, and God is not someone to fear, to resent. He didn't put me in the ugly places that I was in, and he had been with me day in and day out and walked me through that no matter what I've done or what I've been through, I am forgiven. I have been offered grace, and I can offer that grace to others in my life that maybe had caused me pain. And today, I pray for those people. And it has softened my heart in ways that I can't explain today. But I think that maybe there's a lot of people out there that understand what I'm talking about. I've been involved in um, a small group for a while now, and that got me started with, you know, feeling like I'm a part of something. But even serving here more and more just you know as as maybe cliche as it might sound it's like you you form this bond with people and they become more like family and you know everybody's there for you when you need it if RC had never come into my existence I don't think that I would be here at all on this earth. I'm in recovery and AA is very, very important to me. Um, AA is very, very important to me, but I wouldn't even be able to understand what AA has to offer me if I couldn't understand what God has given me. My son Liam last Christmas had said, I think I understand why we come to church now, Mom. I was doing the service and I said, why? And he said, because God saved your life. 
and he has saved my life by leading me to this place. And what I like to say all the time is that this place is not just a place, it's a people and the community that is here. The love that I feel is a love that I had never felt and it fills me with a love for myself that makes me want to keep, keep on. There's just so many ways we can go on and on about how God has um, guided us to this place, to 401 Pinewood Drive, um, to this body, and then how he's provided um, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And it just makes me really excited for the future at Restoration as well, because I can't wait to see how he continues to guide us, um, because we are only five years old. We have so many more years ahead of us um, to reach people for um, for Jesus sake to help other people understand um, what it looks like like Ross has been talking about to bend down and to serve and to get our knees dirty and to love at all times and that our love would attract other people um, to Jesus that they would understand that that's what his love looks like as well so I just can't wait to see what the future holds for Restoration Church and we look forward to seeing, continuing to see this unfolding story of how um, God will guide us and then how he will provide. Because we know he's done it in the past, we're seeing him do it now, and we can't wait to see what it looks like in the future. Yeah, so there, there's just so much to be grateful for, you know, as we reflect on the last five years, so much to be grateful for, God's providence, certainly his guidance through it all. And so Thanksgiving, gratitude, uh, we're in a season of Thanksgiving and gratitude around here anyway, as we lead, our, lead up to uh, Thanksgiving in, in 33 more days. Um, but that's going to be a theme that is going to continue to resonate with us. And so as we continue our morning, um, as we continue our series, Love and Other Messy Things, gratitude is going to be this theme that we're going to come back to and come back to and come back to over and over again. The last several weeks, we've been t- walking through the last night of Jesus' life, this last conversation he had with his disciples as they sat around this meal. And as they're eating this final meal, here's what Jesus says. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, the disciples just dismissed all the suffering nonsense. They're thinking, yeah, Jesus, okay, you know, you know you're, you're the Messiah. Uh, messiahs don't die, right? Messiahs, um, we, we go into Jerusalem. You're going to overthrow the Romans. You're going to start up a revolution. You're raising up an army. You're not going to die, Jesus. You're going to sit on the throne victorious, and you're going to, you know, kick out the oppressive Romans, um, and you're going to finally get a Jewish king back on the throne. So that's what the disciples are thinking. So everything that Jesus says about suffering, they just dismiss as nonsense. But Jesus was sure. Jesus was confident. He is going into Jerusalem. He is going to die at the hands of the Romans. He is going to um, be mocked and ridiculed and scorned and spit upon and beaten and bruised. And eventually he is going to hang upon a cross where he is going to bleed to death. His blood is going to be spilt. His body is going to be broken. And then he does something so profound in this conversation he's having with his disciples. And in our culture, in our day and age, and what we're living through now, we just glance right over this because we just think it's something that we always do. We just do what Jesus did, so it's no big deal. After taking the cup, right, they'd finished eating their meal, they take the cup, he gave thanks. 
And we're like giving thanks, of course. That's what we always do. We always give thanks before we eat a meal. So this is no big deal. Jesus giving thanks. Okay, he gave thanks. He did what we always do. He took the bread and he gave thanks again. He broke it. And then he took the cup in his hand, the bread in his other hand. He said, by the way, guys, this is my body given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see, when you give thanks before dinner, you're not referring to the death that you're about to endure. When you give thanks before dinner, you're looking at this food and you're like, wow, this is such a great blessing. I'm going to give thanks for it. You are not referring to the death that you are about to endure, but that is exactly what Jesus was doing. He held the cup in his hand and the bread in his other. And he said, by the way, guys, I'm about to die a very, very horrible death and I give God thanks for it. I give thanks to God. He gave thanks to God for the opportunity to lay down his life for his friends, as horrible as it was going to be. He gave thanks because he had the opportunity and the privilege to get messy, to get ugly, to get dirty, and serving the ones that he loved. And so, my friends, do you see the challenges in your life as privileges and as opportunities, or do you see them as problems? You know, this past week I was cleaning my house. Um, You know, I was laying down my life for my family, you know, cleaning my house, bending low, getting my knees dirty, cleaning my house, serving my family. I wasn't doing it by myself. Of course, Emily was there. But the reason that, like, we, we grumble and we complain that we have to do these tasks over and over again because I just did this freaking task the same the day before, right? Like, come on, like, I have to do the same task every single day and it just kind of gets annoying. I start to complain. I start to grumble. I start to get upset a little bit. And we sit there listening to this and we think that's no big deal because, hey, who likes to clean, Ross? Like, we, it's, it's okay. You know, you're entitled to complain a little bit. You're entitled to grumble a little bit. I mean, laying down your lives and sacrifice for others and bending low and getting your knees dirty and serving others, like, that's not fun all the time. It's not always immediately rewarding. But what it overlooks, I think, is the fact that I have a house that protects me from the elements and keeps me warm at night. And that's a huge blessing. And I have strength in my arms and my legs and in my back to actually do the cleaning that it requires. I overlook the fact that I have machines that actually wash my clothes for me and that wash my dishes for me. And the cupboards that, you know, I was cleaning off that are covered in splashes of milk, behind those cupboard doors hold food that I did not grow or harvest or package. That's all an incredible blessing. You know, every time I hear a child complaining that I don't want to go to school because it's boring. School is hard. Or I don't want to pick up after myself. Or I don't have this toy yet, and so I want it. Or fill in the gap with whatever your child might say, if you have children. We can all fill in the gap. And then realize for a minute, as we fill in that gap, that it's not just kids, right? It's us as well. Like, how often do the things we say often sound like the adult version of what kids say? Every time I I hear this, I'm reminded that we misconstrue privilege for problems all the time. And so many of our problems are really just the bickering and complaining of spoiled kids not getting their way. And I'm not referring to the little ones. I'm referring to us, the adults. 
The complaining and the bickering are really just the complaints of spoiled kids not getting their way. Because, my friends, our lives are full of good things. Full of good things. But we live in a world where awareness drives discontentment. Because I have have perfectly good things in front of me, but I know that there is something greater out there. And so I complain that I don't have what there is, and I'm not satisfied with what is in front of me. And what this does is it creates a thankless society. We live in a thankless society in the most thankless generation that has ever existed, actually. A recent study revealed that only 20% of Americans believe gratitude is a valuable expression. And only 10% of Americans actually ever feel grateful. And so this may be 150 years ago, but in 1860, there was uh, a ship that had um, hit a Um, appear in Lake Michigan and began to sink uh, to the bottom of Lake Michigan. And several others, including Edward Spencer, had realized that the ship was sinking and and they raced out to rescue whom they could. Spencer was a seminary student at nearby University of Northwestern. He grew up near the Mississippi River, and so he had a lot of training on water. And so he grabbed his buddies and they began to swim out to this sinking ship to rescue as many people as they could. And so he grabbed, you know, one person, he, and he swam back to the shore, and then he went out and, and grabbed another. And in the, in the meantime, his, his body was hit by debris, and he had gashes all over his body, and he was bruised, and he was exhausted, and he was tired in the process. But out of the 30 people that were eventually saved in this day, 17 of them were saved because Edward Spencer had dragged them to shore. And as heroic and, and brave as he was. He provided a new life for so many, but it was really the end of a dream for Spencer. He was never able to recover from the physical toil of what this experience cost him. He had dreams of becoming a pastor, but he wasn't able to continue his schooling because he was paralyzed after this day. His body was just a wreck from this experience. His brain was a wreck from this experience. He was never the same after this experience. And several years later, when asked by a reporter what he most recalled about the rescue, he simply replied this, only this. Out of the 17 people I saved, not a single one of them ever thanked me. And the story, I think, prompts us to ask a very simple question of all of us, doesn't it? What should be the response to new life? What would you have done if you were one of those 17 people? Would you have gone even out of your way to thank the person who had saved you? Because here's the thing. Our situation on this planet is really no different than those 30 people who were drowning in Lake Michigan. They were helpless and they were hopeless, and unless somebody else came to their aid, they would die in that lake that day. There was nothing that they could do to save themselves. But somebody decided that he was going to lay down his life for the benefit of people that he did not even know, so that they might be saved. So in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says, So then, just as you received King Jesus the Lord, you must continue your journey in him. You must put down healthy roots in him, being built up brick by brick in him, and established strongly in the faith, just as you were taught, with overflowing thankfulness. See, the Colossians were just a bunch of baby Christians. They had just um, come to faith in Christ, and so they're still maturing and trying to figure out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And so Paul is here helping them understand what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus and be in a mature relationship with Jesus. And what is the end result? After everything that you know about Jesus and your relationship with Jesus, what should be your result? Overflowing thankfulness. 
You see, he, we were born with inescapable guilt. We were born with inescapable guilt. Undeniably, we were sinners condemned before a holy God. There's nothing that we could do to earn God's salvation and to earn God's acceptance, to earn approval with God. We were drowning, right? Just like those 30 people in Lake Michigan. We were drowning. We were helpless and we were hopeless with no effort of our own to save ourselves. So we need to feel the weight of that. We need to own it. We need to recognize it. We need to feel the weight of that. We need to acknowledge it and believe it about ourselves because if we cannot begin to own that and recognize it and believe it about ourselves, then we'll never get to a point where gratitude is actually born within us. We'll be one of those people who just go, yes, we've been saved, you know, yes, our lives are, are standing here on the shore, but we don't need to go say thanks. What really has Edward Spencer done for us? What really has Jesus Christ done for us? But if we know that we are hopeless and helpless and we are only saved because somebody else laid down his life for us, then overflowing thankfulness must be the result. But we also must own and recognize and feel the weight of the fact that into this hopeless state, right, God sent his son Jesus. We were undeserved. Grace has been given to us. It broke forth through Jesus Christ, who unlike us, us lived a sinless life, but was put on a cross and condemned the death that he didn't deserve. He took upon himself our place. He was our substitute. And in that incredible gift of grace and mercy performed on our behalf and through Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need for peace, for restoration, for reconciliation, for a peaceful household. Everything that we need for life has been given to us freely as a gift. And so what should be the proper response of our lives being snatched from death? Gratitude. It's as simple as that. God asks that we give thanks. Say thank you. It's all we need to do. So what is the response to knowing that every breath we take is a second chance? Gratitude. That every day is a new opportunity given graciously? Gratitude. That what we deserve is death and yet here we are standing full of life and good things? Gratitude. That we are entitled to nothing, and yet here we are with so many good things in this life. Gratitude ought to be our response. We're going to move the band forward. We're going to sing one final song as we reflect on this this morning. So my friends, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. Certainly as we reflect on these past five years, just a, a million things come to mind that we could express gratitude towards. But here is my promise this morning. That if you start to look at what you do have rather than what you don't have, then you will discover joy. If you look at the life you have rather than the life you do not have, you will begin to discover contentment. What you have rather than what your neighbor has, you'll begin to discover some peace. (coughs) Because all these things, these discontentments, these wantings, this awareness of all the things we don't have, these are distractions to the fact that we are an incredibly blessed people. You see, discontentment drives distraction from the simple truth that we are blessed, that we are loved, that we are cared for, that we are longed for, and we'll never be happy in discontentment. You'll always look at what you don't have or what you could have, But, uh, friends, if you recount 
the blessings of God, and if you commit to recounting the blessings of God, if you wake up every morning and you ask yourself, why is there breath now in my lungs? You ask yourself, why is the mercy new and the grace new with this day? If you start every day looking at the things that you do have as the gifts, as the simple gifts God has given you, my friends, that'll change your whole attitude towards life, towards people around you, towards your enemies, towards the people who annoy you, you will find that you are truly a very blessed person. And so, as we reflect on these last five years, we have so much to be grateful for, but as we look forward to the next five, we have so much to anticipate and give thanks for. We're going to sing one final song together um, as we reflect on this, kind of speaking to these very truths, but let me pray for us as we close down our service. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have been so good to us. And everything, Father, in, in the moments of, of, dis- of frustration, like somebody tried to burn down our building, Father, in the moments of sadness, in the moments of loss, Father, we know that these are opportunities. And we are becoming, Father, who we are today because of the good and the, and the hard things that we experience. So, Father, I pray that we might become a people who see privilege in front of us, rather and problems. And that we will learn to depend on you and rely on you all the more, Father, and as we do so, that you would continue to reveal your goodness to us and your heart that is for us. The blessings that we have open up our eyes, Father, to the blessings that we have. And so that we will continue to be a body of people giving you praise as you continue to restore us and can restore this community through us. We do pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.